otherwise on SAFM. It's a cold spring day in Cape Town, Zanzi, but welcome to Otherwise Talking Women on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala. Hazel Makuzeni produces the show. And our technical producer for today is Derek Fordyce. Our contact details are 0892102010. Email otherwise at safm.co.za. Tweets at otherwise safm or at Shadow Twala. Now, 10 years ago, Sam Perry was diagnosed with the cancer of the cervix. Today, she shares her story with us to encourage South African women to get tested. Now, women are also shopping for better breasts, better tummies, and better derriers. We talked to plastic and reconstructive surgeon Dr. Chetan Patel. But before that, our lunch bite for today. And it's taken from Paolo Cuero's book from the Zahir. Esther asked why people were sad. That's simple, said the old man. They're prisoners of their own personal history. Everyone believes that the main aim in life is to follow a plan. They never ask if the plan is theirs or if it was created by another person. They accumulate experiences, memories, things, other people's ideas, and it is more that they can possibly cope with. And that is why they forget their dreams. Sam Perry is the ex-editor of Brainstorm and was diagnosed with cervical cancer when she was 30 and this was about 10 years ago. Finally, she's ready to talk about her experience and uh, she joins me now on the phone. Sam, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I want to know how you are. I'm fine. <laughs> make it sound far more dramatic than it really was. <laughs> was it not? Well, exactly. No, well, yes, it was at the time, but I mean, it's been nine years and it's... Um, Exactly the point. Dramatic. Exactly the point, Sam. I mean, (laughs) you've lived with it for that many years, but for all of us, it's still such a a huge thing, simply because we don't understand it. Yeah, this 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 is true. Um, I found locally, certainly uh, as a journalist, I speak to a lot of people about a lot of stuff, and within my social circles, breast cancer is well publicised. It's reasonably well understood. Um, I've had two friends going through it recently. They both either just done with radiation or, or, or still busy with radiation. And uh, that's a, it's a narrative that we're all familiar with, I think, whereas cervical cancer is um, much more hidden. Certainly when I was diagnosed, um, I didn't know anybody who'd had it, whereas my mother and aunt both had breast cancer. Mm. And um, once I started talking about it, I then discovered that, in fact, I had friends and stepsisters who had, had certainly the first treatment that I had for it. Um, which is laser. They laser. I was diagnosed with precancerous cells across two thirds of my cervix, and the first uh, port of call for that um, at the stage it was at is to was to, is to laser it um, and burn the cells out, which is what they did. And, and when I was going through this, I had a conversation with some friends and my stepsister at the time, and they'd all been through it. And it's apparently not as uncommon as you'd think. And they were all like, "Yeah, no, I had the laser, and I was fine, and I've been clear." Mm. I'm like, oh. Okay, uh, here I was having half a nervous breakdown and apparently it's not such a big deal. But if you look at the mortality rates in this country, of course, it is a big deal. And it's only not a big deal if you are diagnosed early enough. Let's track which, back a bit, Sam. Let's track back a bit because I, I don't want our listeners to lose what we're talking yeah, about. And, <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and, and I'm sure because you're passionate about it now. But what, what exactly are we talking about? Because I'm thinking the reason we don't talk about about it a lot is 
there's probably a misunderstanding or maybe there's a stigma against it of some kind uh, because the minute you talk cervix then people think oops or, you know it, it's got something to do with sex and you know a sexually <laughs> transmitted disease and oh no I'm not going to say that so take us yeah. back a bit what, what what are we talking about alright so the cervix is um, the lower narrower end of the uterus mm-hmm. womb and it's um, leads from the uterus to the to the vagina, which of course does have a lot to do with sex. Yes. People still don't say the V word in public. <laughs> I know. By the fact that it's 2014, people come now. <laughs> um, we are all adults. We can have a mature conversation and use the word vagina. So um, cervical cancer is actually um, related to sex because the majority of cervical cancers are caused by HPV. Um, HPV is the human papilloma virus, mm-hmm. which causes warts. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, I think, a hundred odd variants of HPV, mm-hmm. and um, it's transmitted through bodily fluids and sexual contact mm-hmm. and something else, which I forget right now. But the chances are, if you have ever had sex in your life, you have been um, exposed to HPV. Does, does so, it does it take a while to show itself up? Yeah, depending on which variety you get, a lot mm-hmm. of them don't cause cancer um, mm-hmm. at all. Of the ones that do, um, I did some research when I was diagnosed, and it's generally repeated exposure to the mm-hmm. same variant mm-hmm. over a two-year period mm-hmm. uh, or more, and it'll show up around 10 years after, so I can actually identify which ex-boyfriend I got it from. Um, but we don't talk about that, because that's <laughs> rude. So, yeah, it's it's perversely enough an STD that you'll get from being in a permanent relationship with the same person sexually. But, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, in, 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 in what, how did you find out uh, what, what started happening? What are the symptoms? But I, I need to hear your I story. Didn't you didn't have any symptoms whatsoever? No symptoms whatsoever. So I'm, because, because um, my family... The woman in my family have a history of breast cancer. I'm obviously at risk of that. Mm. And because of that, I've, I've been quite diligent about going for um, gynecological checkups every mm. two years. Mm. And uh, the cervical cancer was picked up during a routine check. I had absolutely no symptoms. I was feeling completely fine. Nothing untoward at all. And uh, went in, did the pap smear. Gynae called me a couple of days later going, you need to come in. And I was like, ooh. Mm. Panic, and he told me what he suspected, and we then did a biopsy. Which um, a biopsy of the cervix, I must tell you, is possibly one of the most painful things you will ever have to go through in your Don't life. Boys that are sensitive part of your body, um, and then they sent the biopsy off for tests just to confirm what they'd already already suspected from the lab tests from the pap smear. He came back saying, "Okay, precancerous cells across two thirds of the cervix. We need to laser it out." which we then did sometime later. Uh, the recovery isn't very long. I went back to work pretty much the next day. And um, you then go for a post-op check, which was fine. And after that, you then go for six-month checkups. Now, tell me the, the C word again, because the minute, and I want to know how it was communicated to you, because the minute somebody says cancer, of course, I... You go cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, no, my gynecologist is a very... Is a very um, direct gentleman so he literally said okay we picked up you know cervical cancer and I literally went cold and went what? what? 
So, and he said, no, it's fine. This is what, this is what exactly it is. This is how we're going to treat it. This is the approach we're going to take. And I was like, okay, so we're not looking at chemo or radiation mm. or any of those scary mm. things. He was like, no, not at all. It's very early stage. We've caught it well in time. No need to panic just yet. And what was that stage that he called early stages? Precancerous cells. Okay. That's, um, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not that familiar with the medical terminology. I know there are five stages and they evaluate according to how much of the cervix is covered and whether there's tumors or not and all sorts of other complicated stuff that I don't understand because I'm not a doctor. Mm. But, and, um, and, and really, I didn't want the doctor's perspective, you know, because yeah, no, sure. <laughs> wanting to know that people must know this is real, it's just not what med- medicine makes up. So how did yeah, it change sure. your life after that? I mean, while, while you were going through your treatment, did you, did you stop having relationships? How did it change your life? I'd uh, separated from my husband about oh, three or four months before then, so I wasn't having relationships at the time. Anyway, I had um, a six-month checkup after the first op and discovered it had come back, mm. um, which was also slightly terrifying. And then went for an operation where they cut out the affected um, affected area, and that was kind of scary because when I went back to the doctor, he said in his inimitable way, um, do you want to have children? Because mm. if you do, I'd advise you to hurry up. And I must have been about 32 by then. And I'm like, well, would you like somebody off the street? You know, or did you have somebody in mind? Because mm. they're not in a relationship. <laughs> and you know, I'm not just going to go wander off and have children just because I might have to have a hysterectomy if it comes back. But but that really is the reality of the matter. Cervical cancer can be very, very aggressive. And it's, it's fatal in half of the cases Um that we have here in South Africa. So it's not something to, to mess around with. That kind of gave me a lot of cause for um, reflection. I was smoking at the time. I hadn't stopped smoking yet. And um, having just been divorced by the, by the time we were done with the second, second set of treatment, I was certainly not looking at a permanent relationship mm-hmm. again. So it's, I had a bit of a nervous breakdown around the whole hysterectomy thing. And when I calmed down and, and got over myself, I realized it wasn't so much that I was that dead set on having children but that having the choice mm. taken away from me mm. was what really bothered me um and i then came to terms with it and i'm now 39 i still don't have children and i'm quite comfortable with the fact that if i do i do and if i don't i don't um would would would, the, would it have worked I, I i don't know would it would you suggest from all the knowledge you have that because we don't need, we don't, we, we can all live with a hysterectomy, after a hysterectomy, can't we? Yeah. And in fact, it's safer. Yes. If, if you um, are in a relationship. If you are in a relationship, um, having a hysterectomy, look, having a hysterectomy is a, is, a, is a major operation. And certainly from a hormonal point of view, a lot of women go into early menopause, mm. which has associated health risks, including um, osteoporosis. Mm. And all sorts of other unpleasant things. What what I, which my doctor made me do, and what I advocate incredibly strongly, I cannot emphasize this enough, is get the HPV vaccine. I got it because he said if you get another variant of this, it could prove fatal. So I went and had the vaccine. Um, the vaccines are, I think two of them are available here. There are three doses of 500, 600 around each. Um, and they've now started making them available free at schools to grade four children who are around nine years old, grade four girls. Mm-hmm. The idea being if you catch them before they're sexually active, 
they haven't picked up any of the HPV strains and you mm. can actually start eradicating the virus from, from the population completely, which would be fantastic. Mm. Um, for those of us who are adults, if you are at risk and there's, there's several risk factors like you know, using contraceptive and um, compromised immune system, smoking, having multiple partners, um, chat to your gynecologist if it's worth having the vaccine, have the vaccine. If you have daughters or sisters or whatever that you are in charge of, make a plan have that a vaccine because it can it's a silly little injection that can completely save your life so sam here you are you've you've had your scare and and you under treatment you're feeling good you're feeling so why bother why even talk to me i mean you could have just sat at home and thought oh okay you know i've got my gig under control i'm fine um instead you wanting to share your story with us why I suppose I'm a bit of an activist at heart. Um, okay. It's, it's, it's what I do. Um, I'm also, because as, as you said, you know, it's sharing my story. I'm not that fussed about sharing my story. I'm, I'm the kind of person who doesn't find it um, emotionally wrenching to kind of relive that and to talk about it. And because I can do it, I should do it. I should take that responsibility and, and talk about it. Because I know for a lot of other people, their cancer experience has been far more heartbreaking and far more horrible and far more physically and personally taxing and if, if they can't tell their stories well those of us who can should we need to stand up and go here listen learn well so i think it's also your healing <laughs> your healing process is the fact that you're talking about it yes for sure um certainly as i say for me i'm now i'm now uh, been clean i think five six years in total so i probably yeah i still go for regular checkups obviously and there's always a risk that it could come back but it's not something that bothers me anymore but certainly talking about it while i was going through it was absolutely critical to to getting through that process and to healing when when it was done were you on medical aid at the time yes i was fortunately fortunately because i'm thinking of women who may not be able to afford this treatment and i know that's the problem i know clinics would would probably and the, the pap smears is something else we don't talk about a lot Yes, and going to the gynecologist, let's be honest, is a reasonably traumatic experience, even if you have a nice gynae who's, you know, pragmatic about it. Um, because it's an invasive thing. You know, some other human is putting their hands on parts of your body that generally only your husband or wife um, would ever do. And it's it's not a pleasant experience for any of us. It's really it's something we all dread. Um, but you have to do it. Breast cancer and cervical cancer are realities. And if, that, again, is why I'm, I'm so adamant about the vaccination thing, because I know people don't go to the gynae. The number of women I've told my story to who have gone, oh, bugger, I need to start going to the gynae. I'm like, yes, yeah, you do. Because if you catch this too late, you're in real, real trouble. My, my, my thing is, if you can have your partner, if you can have a wife or a husband, Already going to see a gynae shouldn't be a problem. You've already let a total stranger into your life to touch you in very intimate spaces. So, I mean... Same story. <laughs> you know, what's... So for, for, for 12-year-old girls, it's a slightly different story. But yes, oh, yes. Once, certainly once most of us are of, of consenting age, we have already let somebody near our, near our uh, strange humans near our bodies, so it shouldn't be that much of an issue. But it is impersonal. It is invasive so i can understand why people don't want to do it that's just we need to woman up and deal and do it yeah yeah and <laughs> your, your your words to to women listening including myself um what biggest advice yes go to the gynae but also what know your body um cervical cancer often does present with 
changes in discharge, changes in menstruation, pain after sex. Um, so know your body and listen to your body. The chances are if you think there is something wrong, if you can feel there's something wrong, the chances are there is. So listen, pay attention, look after your health. Just on a basic level, eat properly, exercise, don't smoke, don't drink too much. Don't, you know, don't do dumbass stuff like live on junk food. It's never going to end well. Um, and yeah, if you feel there's something wrong, go see a doctor, go to your GP. Uh, go to the clinic. I know the clinics can often be utterly revolting and totally unsympathetic, but um, we can't solve the country's public health issues all in one go. We can do what we can as adult humans to take responsibility for our own health. So. And all the things you're saying we've heard before, you know, mm-hmm. we all know this, mm-hmm. and yet we we live on the edge the way we do. Yeah, and then life gives you a reality check in the face, and you're like, hmm, time to mend my ways. So you didn't go for counselling? You You didn't go for counselling, anything like that? No, no, I didn't. Um, To be perfectly honest, that all happened. I mean, I I had separated from my husband, had the first diagnosis for cervical cancer, and then had the second one shortly after my father died. Two and a half years later, my stepfather died. A year and a half later, my mother died. So it's it's just all been one long chain of of, um, complete and utter chaos. And the cervical cancer ultimately ended up being reasonably low on the trauma chain after all of that. So, so no, you, had, you had a huge, a huge I had a lot huge, to deal with, yeah. Yeah, and, and as I said, because I don't think, or, or let me rephrase that, my life was never in any real danger mm-hmm. at any point during that process. We mm-hmm. had caught it early enough that it became a completely treatable disease. I think if I'd like friends of mine who had recently, if I'd gone through chemo and radiation and mastectomies and stuff, absolutely I would have gone to counseling because mm-hmm. I don't think you should try and go through something that huge on your own. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's because I was doing my regular checkups, it became a completely treatable, treatable thing. It was merely a case of going through the, through the steps until we'd gotten to the point where it had been treated. So it was a fright initially, but it was nowhere near as traumatic as, as I think cancer is. Um, when it gets to the gets further down the line. Okay, so how's your life now? You, what are you doing? It says ex, ex editor of Brainstorm. What are you doing now? I mm, so I'm a freelance journalist and mm. researcher. I have a master's degree in effectively what amounts to telecoms licensing. Mm-hmm. So I work uh, mainly in the IT and telecommunications sectors as a freelance journalist and researcher. And then I run a, an initiative called Women in Tech, which is aiming to. Um, bridge some of the gender diversity gap we have in the technology sector. Um, as I said, I'm a bit of an activist, so I can't help but getting involved in everything. Um, I'm thinking, <laughs> you, you, you know, your personality and your attitude is really what helped you heal as well, because they say certain things happen in your life for a reason, and you better wake up and smell the roses. And yeah. it, it looks like you took it, you took it in your stride, but also because of 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 your training i take it you you were quite quite ready to move on with your life yeah i'm i'm pragmatic and and being a journo as as you would know you you the next deadline is looming there's no time to sit and, and cry about the last one so you just you do you pick that yourself off pick yourself up and you and, and you move on and you look forward and i think that helps um people have said to me for the last nine years really have been horrific and people often say to me how on earth did you do it and i'm like you get up in the morning, mm. you go and make your coffee, you have a shower, you put your clothes on, and you just get through every step of your day. And all of a sudden, you look back and it's been a year or three years or whatever, and you're like, I'm still here, and I'm I'm whole, and I'm having a life that I'm really enjoying. And, you know, that's more than any of us could really ask for. 
Have you thought of going back to hospitals and clinics and talking to women? Um, I hadn't really considered it. It's something I, I would certainly happily do. I wouldn't have a clue how to how to get involved in any of the um, any sort of process to do that, though. Yeah, we we must try and, and hook you up because I think a lot of people, um, especially women, would would find it encouraging hearing your story, and and this is why we invited you as well. You know, it's not it's not as as bad as everybody. Well, well, we all have to do it, much as much as it is uncomfortable. But it, you you there's a comforting thing about hearing the way you are dealing with it, your attitude, and the kind of knowledge you've 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 derived from all that that whole experience. I think you could share with so many other people. I'd be I'd be more than happy to do so if if um, other people can take my my horrible experience and, and and learn and grow from it. That would be absolutely amazing. So yeah, the no, thing the thing maybe to do is to link you up with the Cancer Association because they have yeah, so many events. Work. Yeah, they have so many events, and and I'm sure that benefit because cancer is cancer is cancer. Breast, cervix, sure. you know, you know. I, I think just the attitude and 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 the outcome it would be amazing. I thank you yeah. so much for sharing your story with us. And ho- hopefully one of these days we can have you talk to us about the real work, IT, and women in IT. Yes, with pleasure. Absolutely love to. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sam. So have a good one. You take care now. Yes. Uh, Sam Perry, ex-editor of Brainstorm. Sounds amazing. Beautiful attitude. And, and I think it's an attitude that you carry through whatever challenges you have. Not only when you have cancer, but, you know, the get up and go attitude. This is my life. Let me deal with it. A day at a time, a step at a time. I think it really does help. Um, yeah, I, I think we'll, she must connect with, with the Cancer Association. They could use some inspirational talk. When we come back, I read the Sunday Times this weekend and I thought, what? Women are coming from all over the continent, coming to South Africa to get their butts fixed so that they look like Jennifer Lopez's butt. It's called, it's called the Brazilian butt. And they have their breasts fixed, and and they want Kim Kardashian's breast, Jessica Alba's tummy. What is going on? So I thought, okay, let's talk about this. Let's find out how how popular it is, but also just find out what the dangers of it are, because I'm sure there's lots of danger. I know a lot of, uh, in fact, I know two women that didn't quite make it off a liposuction uh, table or that clinic, for that matter. But what is it about us that wants just is wants to look like somebody else we'll find out more from Santin plastic and reconstructive surgeon dr chetan patel dr patel thank you for your time pleasure shadow and welcome welcome and your phone must be ringing off the hooks in sunday hey? <laughs> <laughs> business yes, is booming my mom then my dad phoned me <laughs> what, what do they say your mom and dad <laughs> They just said, we read your article in the newspaper. They live down in Port Elizabeth. So, um, you know, they just said, we read your article in the newspaper. Have you read it? And I, my standard answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've become very popular, but I, I, I must say that I was pretty shocked, you know, that so many women now wanting to change their looks and and wanting new body parts, so to speak. So what's the conversation you have with your patients when they when they make this appointment? It's, it's not a conversation that's any new or anything new, you know. It's a conversation which I suppose plastic surgeons have been having with their patients forever, uh, which is, why do you want this done? What do you want done? Are your expectations of what you want done realistic? And can I actually help you with what you want done? Mm-hmm. 
that's the basis around which it goes. Why would they travel here, though? Can they not do that in their respective countries? Shadow, I mean, the, the whole thing with, uh, with doctors and just the availability of doctors and medical care uh, in Africa, let alone South Africa, we we well behind on, I suppose, the average number of doctors per thousand population. Um, that being said, north of our borders, the situation is much worse. Mm. So there are probably as many plastic surgeons in the entire north of Africa or north of our borders as there are maybe in one building in New York City. Or, you know, mm. that's the kind of shortage you're talking about. So, yeah, certainly the medical care is not available, and that's why people look... Um, to to other countries and also to medical care that has a certain standard and that has been around for a while. That's the important because, sure, there's a lot of new hospitals sprouting up, but you wouldn't just go to the first new hospital with a new doctor that you didn't know anything about. Mm, mm. So your track record really speaks for you? I think, yeah, our track record speaks for all of us, whether we do plastic surgery or neurosurgery or any, any surgery, yeah. So what's, what's become popular? Because I hear now somebody says, I want J-Lo's butt. Firstly, uh, what's your reaction? Because I, I don't know how much you know about J-Lo's butt, but when somebody comes in and says, that's what I want, uh, of, of course it's not realistic, but what, what's your advice there? Right, so primarily it's to say, well, first of all, when they say, do you want, uh, you know, I want J-Lo's butt, so I said, uh, my first thing is, do you have a picture of what you want, roughly? Mm-hmm. And then... Obviously, you need to examine them. So you need to examine them and then say, well, this is what you're seeing in the picture. We then take clinical photographs of that patient, put them up onto the computer screen, and let the patient see their own body, because that's very important. Mm. My change room has mirrors all around so that you can actually have a look at yourself, and most people actually hate that. But it's vitally important to have a look at your own body and understand and realize that each individual body is different so Mm. there's so much that you can do and there's so much that you can't what we don't do is we don't give them CAD diagrams of what their body is going to look that's creating unrealistic expectations Mm. if my computer and the CAD diagram program that I was going to use is going to operate on them then I would do that but I I, I need to know of course when you don't have clothes on then your body it's a reality check hey yes (laughs) because then you can't have those breasts and those buttocks, they don't go together. Absolutely. Now, w- what are the dangers? Because, you know, a few years ago, many, many years ago, I think I think you, your uh, surgeons have, have improved over the years. A friend of mine uh, went for liposuction, and of course she didn't survive it. Um, and and it, it, it was really quite shocking. So who should stay away completely? And what are the risks of, of not having... Uh, the right surgeon, for instance. Okay, so the risks are huge for not having the right surgeon and the right facility. And that's why your research should start with accredited surgeons. And who are accredited, accredited surgeons? Those that are qualified as plastic surgeons. Not a whole bunch of other degrees and weekend courses and, you know, I went to this college which has no real visible presence at all. So look for an and a good place to start is the association's website the oppressor website mm-hmm. it's a very good place to start because they're only about a hundred and probably about 180 to 200 plastic surgeons in south africa give or take okay of those surgeons probably most of them are registered with the association and there are a few that aren't not saying that they're not good or not capable but 
each of those surgeons that are registered with the association have a duty and are uh, certainly uh, um, not liable, but answerable to the association if there is a problem, because the association has an ombudsman. So that's your first point of call. Mm-hmm. Get a good practitioner. Your second thing is that you, you rely on the practitioner. You rely on the surgeon to give you advice as to whether you're a good candidate or not. So do not get taken in by advertising and marketing with machinery and various mm-hmm. procedures and so on. The procedure may not be right for you. That is only determined by the person who is actually going to assess you. And, and uh, is the, uh, again, I want so, to... So in that, in that case where, yes, you, you had a friend who went for liposuction and passed away. First of all, it's very difficult to speak on a case retrospectively when mm-hmm. you have no evidence. I, ca- I can't answer what happened, okay? However, I can tell you this, that a lot of the things that are botched surgeries that you see on television, a lot of the um, dramatic kind of footage that's shown on television is not done in proper surgical centers. It's mm. done across the border in Mexico. Okay. You know, so that's obviously going to be by a charlatan who's really pushing the boundaries, not doing things according to standards and therefore creating morbidity and mortality in his patients. And now that's being then portrayed onto plastic surgeons who've been actually practicing in a regulated environment under great scrutiny, both by public and by our, by our own peers, and that's unfair. So mm-hmm. certainly I can tell you this, that liposuction done safely in a good environment by a good practitioner, doesn't matter what machines you use, will, be, will, give, will deliver an adequate and a safe result. Dr. Patel, who should stay away? Because I'm, I'm thinking, firstly, you know, I read here as well that some patients have these, um, have these uh, operations and, or procedures and then go ahead and go shopping and those kinds of things. Well, is, is, isn't there a recuperation period that is compulsory before they get active again? There is a recuperation phase, but nothing is set in stone. So as we're getting... Uh, onwards with surgery, more and more the recovery times for surgical procedures are dropping. They're not dropping from, you know, so for instance, a breast reduction, for instance, probably 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you just you advise a patient, you know, for six weeks or that would be your recuperation phase, four weeks. Now, we seeing patients more and more often go to work and return to work safely in about 10 days between mm. 7 and 10 days. Mm. Sure, they have dressings to do, but they've fitted with a bra, they have dressings which are manageable, they have scars which are manageable, so all this is taught. Uh, we're certainly getting better with controlling pain post-operatively as well. So that lends itself to quicker recuperation rate. So your recuperation rate is important. Um, your comment about who should stay away, I don't think it's for, there's any sort of thing to say, well, should you stay away? The answer to that is allow yourself, if you're interested in it, allow yourself a consultation with a practitioner mm-hmm. or with a surgeon and allow the surgeon to help you make that decision for yourself rather than uh, abide by a set of rules which are written in stone saying if you this, then stay away. If you that, then stay away. It doesn't make sense. So it's not age-specific either? No. No, I've got patients that are, you know, 18 or 19 or 20 and I've got <gasps> patients that are 80 on you know but it's it's such a varied spectrum. 18 well as soon as they I suppose consenting adults and this is not for every single procedure but you have certain procedures that are um, so for instance 
the breast augmentation age in South Africa, well, not in South Africa, but worldwide, is accepted as, you know, 18 to 19, past that age. So you have patients as young as that coming for breast augmentation procedures or certainly asking for them. Whether they're good candidates or not is up to the surgeon to decide. And then you have the patient who is 70 who would like maybe a breast lift or a facelift who you still have to consider. So there's the extremes of age. What's, what's popular? Tummy, breasts, or butt? Uh, the year in and year out, the top five procedures certainly have not changed that much. So certainly, um, aesthetic procedures obviously have come into their own, where Botox and fillers have become mm-hmm. very popular. Mm-hmm. But liposuction is still just about the number one procedure worldwide, and that's the same kind of in South Africa. Breast augmentation is next. Mm-hmm. Um, body contouring is next in, in terms of tummies and so on. And then the facial stuff like facelifts and uh, nose jobs. So, you know, those are the five most popular procedures. But augmentation is something which is only recently becoming more popular, but it stands nowhere near what the others are. Dr. Patel, have you had work done? Uh, no, I've got the two biggest ears you've ever seen, um, and I've been teased about it all my life, but I love them. You see, you, you love who, the way you look. Yeah. But would you, would you, of course, you wouldn't do anything then if you've lived with those ears for so long um, that you, you don't think any time soon you'll go under the knife. No. <laughs> if you did, though... Unless someone calls me a trophy or something like that, you know. If you did, though... Um, who would you choose to do your, your, your procedure? I would choose a reput- reputable plastic surgeon. Mm. Mm. Okay. I thank you so much for your time. I'm going to come knocking in about 10 years' time. No problem. <laughs> 10 years from now. Thank you so much, Dr. Patel. That's a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Dr. Patel, sounds like fun. Um, well, there you have it. Anyone, as long as... You know, you choose a reputable surgeon and, and, hey, nothing, everything goes, I take it. Everything goes. Breasts, tummy, facelift, nose, and, and body contouring, augmentation, liposuction. Wow, where does it stop? Why do we do it? I suppose all of us have different reasons for doing it. Yeah, if, it's, if, if you're fixing yourself after an accident or something like that. But just for the... What do men do? I should have asked Dr. Patel if men get, go under the knife for anything at all. We'll have another conversation with him.